as a filmmaker, like my mission is really to make stories that educate and inspire people. And if sharing my experience can bring somebody else some sort of comfort, that makes me feel like I'm doing my job as a filmmaker. Hi everyone, it's Sasha here. You're listening to Dear Seekers, and that was Alicia Harris. Alicia is a Toronto-based filmmaker, set designer. I first met her was at a film screening event hosted by Heart On, which oh by the way you should definitely check them out. They celebrate and host screenings of films made by female-identifying filmmakers. Yeah, that's how I got introduced to Alicia and her work. Alicia hopes to educate and empower others, especially youth, through her film, and she chooses to make each film from a very personal place. In order to do that, though, she has to revisit and rediscover those dark memories and traumatic events of her own, which are extremely personal and often painful. During our chat, she opens up her experience as a rape victim, and shares what helped her recovery. She talks about her award-winning film *Love Stings* and expresses her love for the '80s, and shares how she's navigating in today's world without a cell phone. Yeah, you heard it right. Today, I'm recording in、uh, Alicia Harris' bedroom. It's a very intimate conversation. Yes, I'm excited. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> But thank you for letting me in. Of course, in your bedroom is really, really cute. As we talk about like very antiquey. <laughs> okay, so let's dive into this. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just I'm stable. That's like my new favorite response. Finding a balance between like my work and also just like self love and self care, which is like things that I never really thought about before. I find like our generation. Is we're like forced to acknowledge those things because we're like the most like depressed, anxious generation like of all time,、mm-hmm. um, because we just have like a completely different set of woes that I think are brought on by like our connection to everything through technology. You know, like our parents' generation didn't have to be like informed of like what everyone was doing all the time. They didn't have the most access to like all the. Horrible things that are happening in the world so easily, and I find that has weighed on me a lot. So, anyways, I think that is that why you don't have a cell phone and I have、oh, no Instagram <laughs> or social media account. Yeah, I mean, I have Facebook, but yeah, that is one of the reasons I don't feel like sometimes I feel like being too connected is not positive. Did I need to like know every little horrible thing that happened in the world? Probably not. So I think with all that, like I mean, obviously there's a lot of positives of social media and stuff, but with all those positives, we need to have some sort of balance in our life where we are taking the time to like turn that shit off and love ourselves in whatever that means for you.、Um, like these are terms I've never heard of before, you know. But then、mm-hmm. it's something so obvious when you hear it. Like, of course you should love yourself, but but how you, you actually... manage not having a cell phone? <laughs> like when I. <laughs> 
<laughs> Alicia like doesn't have a cell phone. phone. I feel like she lives in a totally different world. That's why this morning I, I was emailing do. you. I was like, yeah. oh my god, I really, really hope she's gonna get this message. But I mean, I understand in a way. How do I just manage my life without you know?、Oh, I mean, like sometimes、uh, we take things for granted, right? Yeah. Like now, without my cell phone, I cannot go anywhere because my GPS isn't there.、Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the social media. I feel like I'm almost kind of disabled without my cell、mm-hmm. phone. A lot of people feel that way because they're so used to using it. Whereas, because I've never had that convenience, I just know how to adapt without it. So, like sometimes it does force me to like be creative. Like if I get lost, I'll use like those maps that are like stationed downtown. <laughs> like I'll look at those <laughs> and figure out where I'm going. Or I will. I did that when I was in London because I have no of data. Of course, but I, yeah, I start appreciating like. You know, I have to use my brain. You have、out. to figure shit out. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. really have to figure it out. I always have to write down my directions before I leave the house and write down the address and whatever. And sometimes I'll show up at a place and I'm like, "This is a house. This is not the building office I was supposed to be at." And then I'm like, "Oh crap! I wrote down the wrong address." So then sometimes I'll just be on the street, like, "Excuse me, do you mind looking up this address for me because I'm lost?" And like people. You know, normally people are nice and will just do it. If they're not, you know, I'll just、mm-hmm. go to another person. So sometimes I just have to be creative like that. It forces me to use my brain a lot of the times, where I'll just have to figure things out without having that convenience. And I'm also pretty prepared before I leave the house. Like if I know I'm going somewhere, I've written it down. I've written down the directions. So sometimes it doesn't allow me to be very spontaneous because <laughs> if I'm downtown, I'm not just and I'm by myself. I'm not just googling. Oh, I have extra time. I'll just Google closest place to whatever because I don't have access to that. But sometimes it then forces me to be more adventurous. Like I'll just start walking and then I'll just find a place. It's allowed me to be like peacefully disconnected. Without a constant access to technology, Alicia has found a peace of mind. But this wasn't always the case. In 2016, when Trump became the president of the United States. Alicia couldn't help but consuming all the information and news, because she wanted to educate herself and keep an eye out on the current events. Well, I don't blame her, but it got to the point that she needed an antidote for her own curiosity. I would watch like two hours of American news a day. Like I、really? would, yeah, it was、oh、disgusting. <laughs> I would just, yeah, I literally after Trump won, I. Or he who shall not be named. One, I, <laughs> I already said him, but you know, whatever.、Um, I felt like, well, I felt like I had been living a very ignorant life just in general before I became a filmmaker and realized, like, oh, this industry is so sexist. I had just been blissfully unaware of the fact that that was even an issue, and then I. Entered my industry and I was like, oh, this is a big problem. I should educate myself on this so I can prepare myself for the world. So I felt that way about like what was going on in the states as well. Like I should educate myself about this because that way I can be prepared. That way I can educate other people. I just felt like if you're not aware of these things, it's almost like you're not acknowledging that it's happening. And I felt like. I need to know what's happening to like my brothers and sisters all over the world, and I need to know what I can do in my you know. Humble like life as an artist, to I don't know, just to feel like I'm doing something about it in some way. Like obviously there is racism here in Canada. It's definitely not as big as it is in the states, but like it still exists.、Um, not that I think it really matters. I think if racism's happening anywhere, like we should care no matter where we are. But yeah, I I would watch like two hours of American news. I spent like. 
Facebook to me is almost even more of like a news thing for me. Like mm-hmm. the homepage, it's not even really my friend's posts. It's mostly, I don't know, if, I don't know if it's just mine, but like it's mostly news. And obviously because I've liked certain pages, it's a very curated news of like, here's a horrible thing happening here. Here's a horrible thing happening there. And like... So your feed's like filled with horrible yeah, things. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's like, you know, inspirational <laughs> things, but a lot of the I like times... you're adding that in Yeah. There. It's yeah. a lot of the times it's very serious, like you know, when something bad happens, obviously all the feminist Mm -hmm. magazines that I follow are going to cover it. Or like all of the like anti-racism initiatives that I follow are going to cover it. So I'll see the same story a hundred times. But yeah, in 2016, it was very much because of what was going on in the States. I felt like I needed to know everything, like every law, every bill, this, that, or whatever. Have you always been such an advocate, like, or kind of activist? I don't think so. Like, I've always been an empathetic person. So I've always cared about everyone and everything around me. I've always been very, like, anti-cruelty. Like, like you could see there's, like, peace stuff over my room. <laughs> like, I've always been that person, but not to, like, the level that I am now because I'm just more informed. I was always for causes, but I think before when I was younger, it was more of, like, I just want world peace. I just want this. It wasn't really as informed. Like, it was more of just... John Lennon said peace, so I want peace. Like, that was, like, that was me, like, when I was, like, growing up. But now I actually have, like, a more specific cause that is related to, like, my existence and related to things that I've experienced and seen. But I have always been, like, fighting for a more inclusive society, just Mm -hmm. not in the, not really with a direct plan. Alicia knew she was fighting for something greater, but wasn't sure what she was exactly fighting for. Until she has accumulated enough negative experience from her own childhood and knowledge from working with youth, all these gave her a clear direction. I worked with kids for five years, four years, five years, in a lot of different areas, in schools, in like nonprofit organizations, in um, art camps, in just so many different areas. And after reflecting on my own childhood, which I think like everyone should take a lot of time to do, all the little things that happened to me when I was a kid that I could still remember to this day, like little, you know, microaggressions or like racist comments that people like things that people said to me that I still remembered to this day. And what's the earliest memory you had? Um, I mean, I have a lot. <laughs> but, really? Eh? Well, I mean, earliest, like, obviously, well, not obviously, but I'm making a film about, like, black hair, so a lot of my memories that I have resurfaced in my head are, like, comments people made to me about my hair, Um, and just, like, it's not always something outwardly rude. Sometimes it's just, like, making you feel like the other because you're different and you look different, so I can't think of, like... Okay, so, like, an example that this is not an early one, but this is something that, like, I experienced in one of my jobs, and I put this in my film that I'm making, which is called Pick, which is about a girl who wears her afro to school and how she has to deal with racism and microaggressions, and I, like, was at my job, and my boss, everyone was freaking out over lice, and I, being super experienced working with kids, have seen lice before. I've seen it, like, crawl across a kid's head and, like, kept a straight face. Like, it doesn't really phase me because it's not that big of a deal. And my boss was, like, freaking out over it. And, like, everyone was freaking out. And I was like, y'all don't have lice. 
it's not microscopic. I could, I, you would be able to see it. No one has lice. And then my boss was just like, well, Alicia, like black people don't get lice. It's like, it only likes hair that's smooth and like clean or whatever. And I was like, wow, that was really fucked up. Wow. Like, why would you say that? I mean, I did obviously didn't say that. I just didn't say anything. And it was so interesting because of course, and I was like on my Facebook the other day, I read a story about a school in the States, I believe, that shaved a girl's head, like a young black girl. They told her her, her hair would grow back straight. Yeah. So they That's shaved bizarre. her head without the parents' permission. They just shaved her head at school. And then apparently they came back saying it was like a cleanliness issue. And then one of the comments, a woman commented and was like, back when I would do lice checks, when I was a kid, they would always like comment on how my hair was and like, oh, we don't know what's hiding in there, like that type of thing. And I was like, you know, little things that, like, we all had to experience as kids, like, going through, like, that whole lice conversation or whatever, and then just being made to feel like just you're so different just because you have different hair. You know, like, why would people going into a school to do a check for lice on someone's head be making these inappropriate comments to this young girl, you know? And then here she is as an adult commenting on this post saying this. And I screen capped it because I was like, oh my gosh, like, the lice thing, you know, like, Little things like that that just, like, add up over the course of a lifetime that prompt you to do certain things in your adult life. And you're like, why am I doing this? And then you realize, oh, that one time when I was a kid, this person said this to me and that's why I feel that way, Mm -hmm. you know? So for me, working with kids, I was very careful of, like, the things I would say. I was very careful of the way I would react to how they would react to things because it's very difficult to, like, imagine how a kid feels when you're no longer a kid anymore. So I've come to realize, like, I would like my work and my mission specifically to impact youth and children because that is how I see myself making a positive impact for the future. I know I'm not going to be able to change every adult. Believe me, I've tried. (laughs) You, like... You did, Well, no, but there's a lot of people that I'll try to call out Mm. in a very calculated, you know, sensitive way that some people just don't listen. They just already set in their ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And personally, I don't always feel like getting into that. Sometimes somebody will just say an inappropriate comment and I'm just like, oh, now I have to call them out because how else are they going to learn? But then the fact of the matter is they're not always going to learn. So then it just sometimes feels like I'm wasting my emotional energy on attempting to inform this person on something that they could have informed their self on. And like, I... I don't think it's fair to assume, like, I'm still learning. Nobody knows everything, but we have reached a point where, at the very least, you can acknowledge if someone is sharing their personal experience with you, they're probably not making it up. And if somebody's saying this is because of racism, it probably is because they've lived a life knowing what racism is. And if you are a white person who benefits from white privilege and somebody is telling you, this person came out to me and said this comment, and I know it was prompted by, like, ignorance because whatever, don't be like, oh, maybe they just meant this. Maybe they just meant that. You know what I mean? It's like, no. When you've lived your whole life experiencing that, you know. Anyways, I've just come to realize, like, to keep my own sanity, it's more in my plan to figure out how I'm going to impact the next generation than it is to impact this generation right now or the generation above me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think they're already smarter than us, (laughs) you know? And this, like, they're already entering a world that is more accepting And our parents and the older generation put old ideas into their head. But if they're coming in just completely fresh with new ideas, every generation is going to have that, you know, the generation after them is going to have less hatred instilled in them from when they were younger. And who knows, maybe some of those kids will be a filmmaker and artist, you know, and I think that 
going into like the whole school system. I don't even know if I want to, but it's really fucked up and stupid. And I've just seen firsthand, like does not create an environment where every kid can thrive. There should never be one teacher per 30 students, children or 25 or 20 even. Like children need a certain level of attention that cannot be provided by one person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one person is not going to have the ability to impact every child. You need a variety of people because everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Every kid's going to learn in a different way. Every kid's going to have different talents and like preferences and abilities that one person would never be able to be trained and qualified to understand Mm -hmm. the needs of every child, especially if they're one for 30. So, and especially sometimes some childs are very special, right? Some children may have ADHD, they may have like special needs. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a kid that was really jumpy. I will be considered the troublemaker. Um, Oh my gosh, I transferred to eight schools when I was eight. Eight. Nobody wanted to take me. Wow. And in China back then was one to 50. No. Yeah, was one to 50. No. So that's fucked up. It was even more extreme. And then I get to a point that I would like kind of like be the leader of the back kids because they have all this standard to trying to kind of shape the kids the way because it's easier to manage them right when you already have kind of mold a system a standard Mm -hmm. and then once the kid is a little bit different then it's kind of like okay they don't know how to deal with it teacher don't um school boards don't presidents don't so it's kind of like this kid just abandoned by the system which is really sad because some of the adhd kids they have some special talent like they could be really genius in one side that is not maybe accepted by the school Mm -hmm. system and they don't they're not put in a position where they can succeed Mm -hmm. you know because not every kid is able to sit in a desk for eight hours a day that's actually insane (laughs) you know like nobody should be able to do that but you know the fact that like children so young are forced to do that you know there's a lot of kids that would benefit from like having the freedom to even just walk around the class because they have so much energy that they can't sit still but that's not something that a school would really allow, I'm not, obviously I don't know every teacher, but that, when I went to school, that wasn't something anyone would be doing, you know, like nobody's taking in the specific needs of each child. And yeah, it is very much like sit down, raise your hand, do this, do that. That works for some people, that doesn't work for everybody. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because what ends up happening is we have this idea in our head where you go to your first level of school, you have to get good grades, and you get go to high school, you, you get good grades, and you go to university, and then you're able to get a good job, and that's how you're going to succeed in life. And if you don't follow that path, well, you're going to have shit life, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's even just like, oh, you know, you got to study math or science. You got to do, like, these things that are, like, considered to be, like, higher forms of learning, whereas not everybody is going to have that path and I find it's very difficult to find what you actually want to do in school because they don't even allow you like why aren't we learning like gardening what gives you more of a chance to see what you're actually good at and interested in it's it's just like no here's what we're going to learn in this exact way because maybe the kid with ADHD is going to be a mathematician but they just weren't able to sit down for that eight hours so they were very distracted and this that or whatever like yeah it's not It just doesn't make sense to me, and I've just seen it, like, with my own eyes, like, how it just doesn't really work. Working with children in many different capacities has allowed Alicia to see how film could be impactful, both good and bad. 
This one film she watched when she was ten has really shaped her perspectives, which is still influencing her to this date. Like I saw a film when I was a kid in school. It was called Just a Little Red Dot, and it was about bindies, like you know those little red dots.、Mm. Um, and it was such a cute film. It educated me about what that was as a kid. It taught me not to make ignorant comments because the whole film was like this one kid that was very resistant to this new girl who comes to school and like wears one, and then she brings them in, and then everyone starts wearing them, and they rebranded as like a cool dot. And it's really cute. As a kid, I never forgot that movie, and I was like, that was something I did not know about a culture, and I never forgot that movie, and I felt educated. It's such a small thing, but just knowing that what that was, and knowing how I was not going to make an ignorant comment about what that meant in the future, you know. And I think that people don't mean to be ignorant, but if you don't know the sensitivity that, like, for example, a black woman feels about our hair because we're just pressured from such a young age to straighten it, to fall into like a Eurocentric beauty. Idea because that's all we ever see. That's all that's promoted to us as like this is what a beautiful person is. If you don't know that sensitivity and you just make a small comment to somebody who is already dealing with that insecurity, you're not going to understand the impact that your words have on that person. So the idea of my film is it's a lot of ignorant comments that are being made to her by people that don't realize that she's hearing these comments all day, and、mm-hmm. that really adds up. And really, that's more of showing like. We hear these comments our whole life, <laughs> so you might just be making one small comment, but you don't realize like、the、it's it's, it's yeah it's combined with like an entire lifetime of these comments or these ideas that are put into our head from being a child. So that's what I love about film, and I think as we get different storytellers from different identities, different sexual orientations, different cultures telling stories, we'll start to see more stories that educate on different experiences. And then hopefully we can get those films into schools, so people are just being more educated about other experiences. And I think a lack of education about diverse experiences is just what makes people ignorant. And、mm-hmm. the only way for us to get rid of that is to educate, you know. And the only way for that to happen is if there's different people who are in charge of what is actually being taught or what is actually being shown, you、mm-hmm. know. And like I don't think the school system. Really teaches you empathy. I don't think it really teaches you how to be. It's like yeah, we get taught okay, love everybody, but there's very limited learning in like other people's experiences. Like yes, we have Black History Month. Yes, we have this. Yes, we have that. But like, there's only so much that I remember being taught about. This person, different cultural experience.、Mm-hmm. That is a really good way for us to relate to each other. Is if we just learn more about our different experiences. Lives that、mm-hmm. different aspects that we might not、and、fully understand. And just talking to you, I can actually feel the passion and you know <laughs> the frustration. Everyone always says that. <laughs> yeah,、and、I get really into me, it. That makes me kind of curious. Like, you know, what's kind of your upbringing? Because I mean, everything happens for a reason. Yeah,、uh, right. I believe that. that. Does. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of want to go back to your upbringing, like、mm-hmm. your growing up, the family, and then. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. I how many siblings you have?、Um, I have a twin sister and then I have a little brother. Yeah, how old is your brother? Um, nineteen. <laughs> oh wow! I know he just turned nineteen. Like drinking age, woo. Yeah, yeah,、time. yeah. Girls.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my parents like taught me to care about others and to be, you know, a hard worker. Like my mom, like worked so hard to like just provide for us. 
like she, you know, had to provide for like three kids. And I think seeing how hard she worked and like all the sacrifices that she made for us growing up, like really made me feel like, well, my mom's making all these sacrifices. I better do something pretty damn special <laughs> like with my life. Right. And I feel like I have, and like I know, like my mom's like super proud of me for picking a very specific path that I was a risk and still a risk, but like she obviously really believes in me. I know half the time she doesn't really know what I'm doing on my computer and like writing all these grants and like doing all this like self-promotion, being my own publicist, being my own this, that or whatever. But like she just trusts that I've like made the right decision for myself and like she can see like the recognition that I'm, I'm starting to get. In 2016, Alicia and her producer Rebecca made the film Love Stinks as their thesis film for their final year at Ryerson University. They pitched the film at Irish Youth Arts Pitch Competition and won the top prize of $5,000. And for this project, they've also been awarded the Alvino Sara Film Award. The film is about three teenage girls who acquire a Playgirl magazine and are trying to decide if they're ready to take a look at a naked man for the first time. One thing led to another. Did you see it? I saw all of it. Tell me everything. I actually got the idea from working with kids. I saw they were like hovered around a textbook, which is the scene in the film, and they were like looking at like a naked woman or like a, but a diagram type of thing. And it was like girls and guys, and they were all just huddled around. I just like laughed because I'm like, oh my gosh, who doesn't remember doing this? You know, <laughs> when you got like the textbook with I that. Don't. You never did that? <laughs> no, just kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, who, who, no, I'm not me. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, kids would always do that. So like, I was just dying. Like, I was like, this is so funny. And how did you cast the kids? I mean, casting kids recently has been kind of like a big topic. Has it? Stranger Things and It, they all like the major players. My actors in that movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, Betty Ripson. Have you seen it? Oh, in It? Yeah. So, like, the girl that goes missing. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she looks familiar. Yeah. Oh, because you saw it. Yeah, yeah. Now it makes sense. Yeah, she was the Katie Oh, Lundman. my God. Yeah. <laughs> and Love Sings was her first movie. Oh, um, so awesome. Yeah. I mean, how we casted it was we... I mean, I was very scared because I was like, damn, this script is super complicated in terms of, like, the jokes, the, like, characters are very extreme, very specific, and I was like, I don't know how we're going to find people to do this. So, we we're on like a casting website we also like put out calls to like acting groups and like schools and blah 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 but not many people submitted for the role so like normally when you like if i were to post like middle-aged white woman like from 20 to like 30 i would get like honestly 100 submissions like 100 people would submit to it but this role we got like seven people Mm. and I was like wow like this is such a good character like why like what the hell and then agents were like oh it's because like your log line you know is three girls the playgirl magazine that's a little bit too taboo for parents whatever wow yeah so we went through the casting workbook website and we just like looked through every page of the age group 
And we just saw her face. And we're like, we should ask her to come in. So we did. And then she came in and she was just so funny. And she did, like, such a good audition. And, like, as soon as I met her, I was like, yep, that's uh, that's her. Mm-hmm. You know? It was indescribable. It was like an outer body experience that I could feel in my whole body. I'm just enhanced now, you know? I watched the love stings. I actually really love that you actually went for this film. You use like actually film, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you look kind of different. Yeah, so we shot on film. See, that's like one of the film roles right there. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was the idea that you went back to the 80s and then the story was taking place in the 80s? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it was really important because it's kind of going back to like the first inspiration of the film where the kids were looking at the textbook of the naked woman like that's what I saw these kids doing and I was like this is such a big deal to them because they've never seen this before they don't have access to it but I find today because kids have the internet you know they can just google a lot of things like I feel like kids are growing up way faster because they are just have access to like a certain level of inappropriate content that we didn't really have access to as kids growing up and even more so like in the 80s like they didn't have google penis you know like they didn't have that right so like it would have been significantly more taboo that they find this like playgirl magazine like this porno magazine because they just would never be able to see a naked man you know and that was the whole thing was like the whole thing is them deciding like are they ready to see a naked man just with the access to information and technology kids have today I don't think it would have been as interesting if you know people mm-hmm. would be like they've probably already seen it you know right, right. Um, plus I just love the 80s you know I find I want to have stories that don't have cell phones in them as you know I don't really like cell phones and I think they can ruin a lot of stories like all these like adventure stories that happened you know everything can just be so easily solved with a mini computer that you have all the time I think that ruins a lot of storytelling capabilities mm-hmm, right. because if there's interesting things happening in a film a lot of the times you could just be like why didn't they just google it why didn't they just call the person why didn't they just do this whereas without that you know there's just more possibilities of like mischievous interesting like crazy things that can happen and i just love the 80s who doesn't love the 80s yeah that's pretty cool yeah i mean obviously i don't want to go back in terms of like social progress right but in terms of like style and music and um the movies that you know like john hughes like cameron crowe movies like all these like really cool filmmakers i just felt like i just wanted to make an 80s movie from Love Stinks is kind of portrayed this uh, stories of three girls and then from there to the next film you made how did that film come together? Yeah so it's always an interesting story because I actually made it for a contest so I had received some advice from a panel where it was just like apply for every contest every like grant everything that like you're eligible for so I saw this contest like maybe 12 days before the deadline and I was like oh this is a really good contest like I should apply for this but with that time limit I knew I couldn't make a film with actors because I'm like there's no way I would be able to coordinate that so being a production designer I was like it was almost like the rooms came before the film like I was like I always wanted to create these beautiful rooms and working for other people on their films I had these ideas for these rooms before because I was like these are rooms that I've always just wanted to create so I was just like okay I want to make a film that is possible within this time and I'm gonna make rooms and then I I thought about topics that were important to me and like rape is an important topic for me to just important for me as somebody who is a survivor of rape 
So, would you mind with taco da for a little? This conversation was recorded towards the end of last year, before the Harvey Weinstein allegations and the Me Too movement came to the surface. I have to admit, I've never been an activist. Maybe that was from my culture or upbringing or both. I'm not so sure. But seeing all these women coming out briefly, telling their painful stories and experiences, I can't help but letting that little activist side of me come to light. I admire their bravery, like Alicia. Originally, she was set out to tell a story on rape, but didn't anticipate that she would actually end up peeling her own scar. Obviously, like it is something that, like, yeah, the trauma you can never really get over, but the the way that it affects me, it doesn't affect me in the same way. And the funny thing is, it was actually the film that really prompted that because before I, when I was even starting to make the film, I was like, I want to make a film about this, but I'm not going to make it about me. I'm just going to make it objective. And then I realized I couldn't come up with. I was writing a poem. I couldn't come up with any good lines because I was trying to write it very objectively. And then I started to make it about myself, and that's when I actually came up with. The whole poem. So when I started making it, I ha- was just beginning to confront that this had happened to me because I just kind of blamed myself for many years. Like this was a position that I put myself in. I decided to be with this person at that time in that moment and like whatever. So it seemed I just thought it was my fault. And then becoming more aware of like consent and like you know, just becoming. A, a feminist realizing like no just because I was there in that moment with that person that I trusted doesn't mean that I wanted this to happen to myself so you know once I had finally acknowledged that through making the film and like sharing the film with people and having I made the film to validate my own experience and validate other people's experience but by making the film other people validated my experience by like giving me like support and feedback and love that I never would have received if I didn't like come out so openly with this is my film and my story so that just like fast-tracked the process of healing for me um obviously it was still very painful and difficult and I don't recommend everybody heals in such a public way but (laughs) for me it was how many years have it been since that happened yeah um five years so it's not too long ago. Eh? No. Wow. <laughs> but it only acknowledging that it happened and whatever that is maybe like a year. So it's been an interesting year of sharing this experience with others. And like, you know, now I'm in like this artist collective started by this amazing woman where we it's called 12 Angry Women. And we meet up once a month to talk about our stories and like create art together. So like there's other things that I'm doing. I'm not just saying like I just made a film and then I'm like magically healed. But the film prompted a conversation that I had with myself of like, well, this happened to me. Now, what am I going to do to actually actively get over this? And one, talking with people and, um, you know, taking this like traumatic experience and turning it into like a piece of art that I feel like is impacting others helped a lot. But um, yeah, that is the main, that was just the catalyst for me healing. Um Yeah. So, I mean, and again, it was also the circumstances of how I made the film. Like, because it was for this contest, we made it in such a short amount of time that there was really no backing down. There was no, like, so it kind of just, like, 
push you. Yeah, it pushed yeah. me to push myself to just be like, no, you're doing this. You know you want to make this film. You're doing this for very specific reasons. And, um, yeah, I knew it was. I knew I was never going to regret it, even though it was difficult for me at the time. But just having the support of, like, my team and my co-production designer, Tess, throughout the whole process and um, my friends – and then putting it online right away and receiving just, like, an overwhelming amount of, like, love and support and um, people sharing it and, like, thanking me personally for making the film and people opening up with their stories to me just felt like, okay, this, I made this film um, and it was difficult, but it was worth it. Maybe if it were a nice room with bedding that was pristine, you would have wanted it to stay that way. Maybe if it were a nice room, laden with poetry and prose, you would have remembered the word no held just as much weight. Maybe if it were a nice room, filled with heirlooms and antiques, you would have remembered that we were ten years apart. Maybe if it were a nice room, overtaken by flowers and vines, you would have let me keep mine. Maybe if it were a nice room, adorned with doilies and figurines, you would have remembered the women who raised you. Maybe if it were a nice room, consumed by photographs and nostalgia, you would have considered what kind of memory this would become. But it wasn't a nice room. Alicia's new film, Pig, is coming out. For those who are listening to this episode in real time, their Kickstarter campaign is going live tomorrow. I know, such a good timing, right? This film is about a young girl wears her afro to school on a picture day. And her unexpected experiences. My films are very personal, as like you just heard from, like maybe for a nice room, dealing with these like very, you know, topics that are very connected to me and putting me in a very vulnerable position. Um, almost every film, it you really need time to like breathe between projects and between like um, going through a certain creative process where you're forcing yourself to like un um, to rediscover these like painful memories but I'm really excited for it and I think just from hearing speaking to black women about it um I know that it's going to have a really big impact and I hope in the same way that maybe if it were a nice room has had and love stinks has had um like that is really I think the most important thing about my work is the impact that it's going to have on women and marginalized people because those are my people and <laughs> awesome and you know we haven't had our stories and experiences really shared as mm -hmm. much as we should have which right. has made us feel like we're alone and i'm just here to be like you're not alone mm -hmm. ah so beautiful oh thanks i'm in tears actually oh <laughs> stop <laughs> you're so I hear the paper flipping. Okay. So what's the best and the worst advice you ever are given to? Um, best advice is... Okay, I'll start off with the worst advice. Um, 
<laughs> cut out the part where I'm thinking because <laughs> I can't. Okay, okay this best- is not very fast. <laughs> yeah. okay. Sorry. Okay, the best advice I've ever been given has probably been um, so dumb, but be yourself. <laughs> like, oh, that's the best. Yeah, or the worst? no, best oh, advice. Okay, be okay, yourself. Okay. Um, I don't remember who said it. Somebody said it at some point. People have been saying it to me my whole life, but I have found. I used to make films that were really not about me. They were about, like, imaginary characters that I had seen in movies that I was just repeating. But I've realized being myself and staying true to my own stories and, like, the following my heart as to what I think is the right way to tell those stories. Whoever, if people don't connect with your film, they just weren't meant to connect with it. But I know that if I be myself and I make the film how I believe it's supposed to be, there's a niche market, air quotes, you know, there's a huge area of people that have felt the same way Mm -hmm. that will connect with it. Um, Worst advice I've ever been given? I mean, I went to film school, so a lot of people give you bad advice on, (laughs) on, I can't even think of a specific example, but I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Do you want to come back to this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... I Damn mean, it, this sorry, question- <laughs> I'm not good at the rapid fire. Okay. That's okay. I mean, this question is sort of dumb, as you mentioned, but it also, I think, is really important as well. Um, so do you have any wisdoms or give me three wisdoms you'd like to share with your 21 self, 21-year-old self? Oh, gosh. This is not a dumb question. Um, number one, don't care so much about what everyone thinks. Um, I find that um, in school, like, you're given a lot of, uh, people give you a lot of different advice, and you have to really distinguish, like, what actually makes sense to me for my project, and I think I spent, I just spent, just in general, just too much time, like, overanalyzing that one person said this that one time, and, oh, that person, like, did, like, their I read their body language in this way and that means this like I just spent too much time just caring so much about what other people thought of my work what other people thought of me you know my appearance my like whatever my hair this that or whatever and now I've just really realized now that I just don't give a shit um I'm just so much happier <laughs> you know like I'm just like look I'm just being myself and who I have a lot of friends, whoever is meant to connect with me will other people I'm not going to take it personally that would be number two. Don't think, <laughs> don't take things so personally. Sometimes people will just say something to you that they don't realize like affects you so much, and and sometimes that also reflects what they are going through. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, may show their insecurity or mm-hmm. some struggles they are going through. Yeah, so it doesn't have anything to do with you. Exactly, that's the advice I was given. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm just a very sensitive like person, empathetic person, like where a person that thinks a lot about everything like I think very carefully about what I say to people and I find sometimes when I'm dealing with people who don't act the same way it's very obvious to me and I will be very upset about something like if somebody has said something to me but now I realize like even if I'm going to take it personally because sometimes like yes you should take it personally yeah Yeah. we're human beings I'm not going to let it ruin my day you know like how we were speaking about earlier like if I see a terrible post about something or like somebody on the internet something said something dumb I'm like no just a day in the life I'm not gonna let that ruin my day um and then 21 what the hell was I doing at 21 um Oh, um, put your career first. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That's something I didn't and I, expect. And I don't mean like, you know, 
over your friends and your family, but I found it was very easy for me to be like, oh my God, there's a cute guy. Let me focus my energy on this right now. And I did that too often. You know, now I'm kind of just like, look, again, anyone that's meant to connect with me will do that. I'm not going to go out of my way to create these situations. I'm just going to focus on my art. And I found a lot of the times when I was in school, I was sometimes distracted by like people. (laughs) And now I'm just not really allowing those distractions to deter me from like my real goal in life, which is to be a successful filmmaker that has an impact on the next generation. And I need to put my energy into that. And anyone that wants to come along for the ride, sure. But I'm not going to let people take me away from that goal, which is something that I was definitely more prone to as like a, you know, child that believed that, you know, I needed this like Prince Charming figure to come into my life. But then I realized that had just been imposed on me by, you know, movies that were made by men where like mm-hmm. a woman always needs a man <laughs> right you know to come in and save the her charming exactly and to like whatever you know but i think you know we all know behind every whatever strong man there's a stronger woman yeah. i don't know if that's the exact thing but anyways yeah. i don't think that's true for women <laughs> i think behind every strong woman there's like a really strong group of female friends that support her <laughs> oh that's so you know good. like yeah. yeah but and you know obviously i have a lot of good male friends too so i shouldn't say that but um Yeah, I think it took me a while to realize that, like, I didn't need to drop everything because there was some cute guy or cute girl. I needed to just, like, focus on my art. And, again, anything that is meant to happen will not get in my way and will happen. Yeah. Um, So what are you currently seeking? I'm seeking for, like, a way to really ground myself in the real world a lot of the time like I have recently become I would say even more of a daydreamer than I was before like I had a very spiritual experience where it's it's almost difficult for me sometimes to like not get lost in this like um spiritual world that I have found myself really connected to so I don't know. Sometimes I'll just spend like an hour and I'm like, oh shit, I needed to focus on something, but I was just daydreaming in my head. Like, I think I'm, f- I need to find a way to get out of my own head. <laughs> like that is seriously what I'm looking for these days. Like I find myself being like so unproductive because I'm living in the future sometimes where I'm like, oh, I'm ar- I've already achieved these things. And then I'm realizing, oh, to achieve those things, you have to do these things now. But because I'm so confident in where I'm going and I know exactly what I want and what I want to achieve, I find sometimes I just spend too much time like dreaming about that in my head maybe because um you don't want to get there so quickly maybe yeah yeah you want to enjoy (laughs) right now so yeah you you know exactly where you're gonna go how you're gonna get there but you know also when you get there and then okay what now well actually i would say that i'm i'm actually trying to like live more in the present that would be more what i'm seeking like that's what i mean by like being grounded in like the real world right now because i feel like i've seen the future i know that if I keep working as to what I'm working at and doing it at the pace that I'm doing it and how hard I'm working with the people that are supporting me, we will get there. It's almost like I'm already living there and I'm like, I'm not really forcing myself to enjoy exactly what you're saying. The process of getting there and all the like bumps and twists and turns that we're experiencing as we get there. Yeah, I don't know. I gotta like get out of that. Okay. I let you keep seeking. <laughs> <laughs> I love that seeking. Like, what are you seeking? Like, yeah. it's so like I know it's the seeking yeah. thing really resonate with me. Yeah. No. As soon as you said yeah. it, I was like, because it could mean just so many things. Yeah. So, if you can have one superpower for a day, what would you want? 
For one day. One day only. Um, <laughs> I would honestly, I know, I know this might sound like cliche, but I would just like want the power to heal people. <laughs> Whoa, that's so yeah, sweet though. I mean, sorry, I don't mean physically, but I mean like emotionally, you know, like I find like I've just seen just firsthand from my own experiences and people that I love, like how difficult it is to get over like really traumatic experiences and if I could just have that power for one day, I'd just be like, bam, bam, bam. Just like, you know, like, <laughs> you're healed. Yeah, you're healed. yeah. And you're healed and you're healed. You know, like, I just, uh, it takes, like, years to get over this type of, you know, like, traumatic experiences. And it would just be nice to just, like, take some of that away from some people for, like, a day. I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm doing that with my film, but it would be nice to do it in, like, a more, like, quick way where, like, wow. you're just healed. Um, that, Yeah. That would be That's really do. cool. <laughs> and what's your definition of uh, a living a happy life? There's a really good quote by Issa Rae, who's like one of my heroes. She said she only started liking waking up early when she started doing something that she actually really loved. And then that's like me now. Like I always just wanted to sleep in, whatever. But when you're actually doing something that you really care about, it's so easy to want to wake up and just start doing it. So... Something that's worth waking up early for. I think that's, like, you know, living a happy life. And also just having, like, a really strong group of people in your life that you really love and care about and that care about you and support you in what you're doing, I think, is is really happiness. Wow. That's great. I'm looking forward to your film pick. Thank you. Thank you. Me yeah. too. <laughs> can't wait for it to be out there. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I really hope you enjoyed this heartfelt conversation. Please head to their Kickstarter campaign to show some support, so this film can be made to educate, empower, and inspire little girls, or even adults, about cultural differences and more. And as usual, please head to DearSeekers.com to see all the beautiful images taken by Vayu Law in Alicia's home. So see you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking. Happy seeking.